This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show. It's Wednesday, and you're listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And every weekday at 4 on AM 630, The Word, we're here to take your phone calls and answer your Bible questions. By the way, I need your phone calls today. We're starting to run out of questions that have been sent in. Um, all you have to do is call us, area code 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. Or you can use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. I remind you every day that if you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is use the free KSLR mobile app. You need to hit one button. It says call now, and you will be connected directly to our studio producer. One more time, 340-9585 is our main number. Now, because it's Wednesday, uh, I have a, the, the privilege tonight of doing a Bible study teaching Second Samuel chapter 23. If you remember, I talked to you about this last week, and that was before a utility pole fell on our building, and we were out of action last week. So I'm really excited to do this Bible study. It is one of the most encouraging and hopeful and helpful um, Bible studies. You know, sometimes we think, well, God could never use me. Uh, tonight's Bible study proves that God can use anyone and do marvelous things through that person uh, as well. So that's going to be here tonight. Again, Paula will be with me live in studio tomorrow. Ladies, it's a day dedication of the program, uh, a day dedicated especially to you. Uh, and we would love any calls or questions that you have for Paula, or as I said, if you need to be encouraged about anything at all. We'd ask for your prayers about something. Paul and I are going to be doing a, a marriage retreat in Garland, Texas in January. And uh, we'd like to know that some people here are praying. Now, one more thing, and then we'll get to some questions. I... Um, mentioned yesterday that now that the election's over, I'm assuming you've all got your signs out of your yards and you've got your bumper stickers off and now you're about reconciling with the people around you again. And I, I, I say that laughing, but I'm, I'm not being funny at all here. Um, we need as Christians to stop letting things like politics to stop letting politics get in the way of our ability to rightly represent Jesus. We are so angry. I wish I could say it was just the world, the unbelieving world, but it's not. 
It's not. All you have to do is look at Facebook feeds or Twitter feeds, and you see people that are identifying as Christians, and they're saying the worst things. They're saying uh, things without love and without compassion. And without love, what makes you think you're one that belongs to him? Why is it that we have a political platform that we elevate above the need for us to love the people for whom Jesus died? So that's my wish. If I could rub a magic lamp and Jeannie gave me a, a wish, I'd say, may we Christians be the lovers of the people who are hard to love. Rather than engaging like unbelievers do in arguments and silly, petty differences, Instead, let us remember that our job is to win people to Christ. That's why Paul wrote to Philemon in the sixth verse of that one chapter, Treasure. He said, I pray that you'll be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing that we have in Christ. So let's make that our goal. Okay, let's get to some questions. My first one is from Nancy. She asks, is speaking in tongues proof that you are filled with the Holy Spirit? Nancy, the answer is no. Now, uh, I'm going to sort of piggyback on what I just said in the opening comments. Uh, the proof that you're filled with the Holy Spirit is love. It doesn't matter how much you babble in tongues. If you have not love, you're just making noise, is what 1 Corinthians 13 says. Love is the singular fruit of the Spirit. All the other stuff is wrapped up in love. So love is the proof that you're filled with the Spirit. Speaking in tongues is simply a gift given by the Spirit. And there is an erroneous teaching out there, Nancy, that because on the book of Acts, day of Pentecost, everybody spoke in tongues, the teaching is that, well, see, there has to be evidence that you're filled with the Holy Spirit, and that's the evidence. They conveniently leave out the sound of a mighty rushing wind, they conveniently leave out the cloven tongues of fire that fell upon the people that were there and focus on the tongues. That was a one-time, the Holy Spirit's grand entrance into the world in power event. And it's not to be repeated. So if you're going to a church, Nancy, that says, unless you're speaking in tongues, you're not filled with the Spirit. If you're going to that church, you need to leave. That's a charismatic church uh, to the extreme. I say that again. I remind you that we are charismatic here at Calvary Chapel. But speaking in tongues is the least of the gifts, and it isn't proof that you're filled with the Holy Spirit. It is a gift given by the Holy Spirit, and it's a gift that we should want. Every gift given by God is a good gift, so it's a gift, Nancy, that we should want. But I want to emphasize one more time. It doesn't matter how much you speak in tongues. Paul says, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels and have not love, he says, I'm just making noise. Love, love, love is the proof that you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Here is a question from Mary. I'm being challenged today. Since there were women prophetesses, why there can't also be women pastors? Mary, the reason is because the Bible says so. Don't ask me why God said it that way, and he gives us the explanation. It's based on the fall in the garden. It was Eve who was deceived and ate first, and she gave it to Adam. And while the sin was credited to Adam, Eve was the one who, through deception, brought it in. 
And one of the consequences of the fall was specific gender roles in ministry. And the fact that there were women prophetesses and there are not supposed to be women pastors is nothing more than coincidental. They're not connected at all. The truth is, Mary, anybody can find a reason if they want one bad enough to be disobedient. And women who are pastors are usurping the authority of men, authority established by God. They're rebelling against the plan of God for his church. Remember, the church belongs to Jesus. And these are things, Mary, that we've got to accept. And I say this so often in this program, but one of the things that we have to understand as believers is that because we bear the name Christ, we're Christians, Christ's men or Christ's women, uh, necessarily we've got to agree with Christ. And he's the head of the church, and he's the one who said, I do not permit a woman to teach her of authority over a man. And the Greek, it's, it's teaching from a position of authority, and if you're a pastor, you've got a position of authority. It does not mean, Mary, that women can't be Bible teachers. I often say on this program in response to similar questions, that we have been blessed with so many wonderful women Bible teachers. And they use their gift of teaching and counseling, they use their gift of teaching and teaching other women. And we have organized women's Bible studies in a church. We have um, home Bible studies that are, are, are designed for women in the church. So there's plenty of opportunities to use your gift of teaching. There's only one thing. I, I always think this goes back to the, the tree in the garden. Adam, Eve, all of this is for you. You can eat the fruit from any other tree, just this one tree. And you know, Mary, we're still, thousands and thousands of years later, we're still focusing on the one tree that God said we can't eat from. And we rationalize it by saying, well, this is the 21st century. Women have equal rights. Women are just as good as men or just as spiritual as men or just as gifted as men. Now, while those things are all true, we have to remember the church belongs to Christ. He is the head of the church. And as long as he's the head of the church, by definition, he makes the rules. And since we say we belong to him, Mary, we've got to follow his rules. And if we don't, the church is getting ripped off. You know, I get this question a lot. People at the gym, people at other places, they know about this program or they know that I'm a pastor. Well, why can't women be pastors? I just told you why. My question would be, why do you want to the one thing that God said you can't do? I understand our flesh wants that, but we're supposed to die to our flesh. And a church that has a woman pastor is absent a pastor. And that's never a good thing. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Here is another challenging question from, it's just titled, Unbeliever. Um, he or she wants to know, what hope does Christianity offer the world we live in? Also, I'm a good person, as good as most. Not perfect, but I always try to be good. If I die, Christians say I'm going to hell. Well, unbeliever, 
hope that the world needs, not false hope, real hope, genuine hope, sort of feeds into our instinctive knowledge that there's something more. We know we're going to live somewhere forever. We all know that instinctively. We can deny it or we can try to talk ourselves out of it. But we're all born with that instinctive knowledge. And Christianity offers the world that we live in an eternity filled with peace. An eternity filled with bliss and joy. An eternity with Jesus, with God. But that's not just the hope for heaven. You see, we've got a great hope in this world, in this life as well. The hope is no more aimlessness, no more wondering what's next or what we're going to do or what should we do when this happens or when that happens. No more frustration in the sense that we, we don't know what our purpose on life is. You see, one of the things that happened 27 years ago when I gave my heart to Jesus it's actually almost 28 years ago now. It'll be 28 years uh, this coming February. That moment, my life was given direction. I couldn't have explained it to anybody, unbeliever. But at that moment, I knew my life had purpose. My life had a direction. I didn't know Ephesians 2.10 that we're God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works that he created for us to do before the foundations of the world were laid. I didn't know there was an Ephesians even. But I knew, after meeting Jesus, I knew that there was a meaning for my life, a purpose. And while I didn't know what it was, I knew instinctively that, that I needed to follow Jesus and I would find that purpose. I'll tell you another hope that Christianity offers for the world that we live in. I'm going to talk about individuals in the world. Something else that happened to me on that day, those many years ago, is I knew my sins were forgiven. I knew that I was never going to answer for my sins. I knew that I would be in heaven forever with, with Jesus. And when you know that, it changes the way you live here. Let me give you hope, unbeliever. It means that right now, instantly, your sins can be forgiven. Think about what a staggering promise that is. Your sins can be forgiven. All you have to do is ask him to forgive you. He's already declared his intent. His intent is to say yes. Why? Because you're accepted in the Beloved. And most of us at one time or another, because of the messes we make, because of the pain or the emptiness in our lives, we instinctively know there's more and we long for a fresh start. I used to fantasize about waking up a completely different person, my mind and everything, but, but nobody else remembered the terrible things that I did. Well, that's exactly what Jesus did. He took away my sins so completely that they never had to bother me again from that moment forward. You want hope? How about the hope of living a guilt-free life? I mess up, and when I'm guilty, I ask God to forgive me, and He does, and then I don't deal with it anymore because I've been delivered from guilt. 
I've been delivered, and you can too, unbeliever, from trying to please other people. Your focus can be heavenward instead of here on earth. And the freedom is overwhelming. Now, when you say I'm a good person, as good as most, you see, the problem with that thinking is that the standard of heaven is perfection, not good or as good as most. God doesn't grade on a curve. We're not going to find when we get to heaven that God's going to say, well, you know, you were really bad, but this one was worse. Okay, I'll take you, but I won't take you. The requirement for heaven is perfection. I once saw a t-shirt that said, the righteousness God requires is the righteousness His righteousness requires Him to require. Isn't that great? You see, that's how good we have to be to get to heaven. You may be a better person than I am, but I'm not the standard. Jesus is, and He was perfect. That's why, unbeliever, His death for you, his resurrection, which validates the efficacy of his death for you, provides you that perfection. He imputes, he gives you his righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He who knew no sin became sin, that you, unbeliever, might become the righteousness of God. And make no mistake, Perfection is required. And since you couldn't be perfect and I couldn't be perfect, God gave us a choice. He said, accept the perfection from heaven or answer for your own sins. Unbeliever, I hope and pray that you'll let Jesus give you his perfection. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. You know, I think that's just a common way that we most of us think. You know, well, I'm a good person. I try to do my best. Good is never going to be enough, not for heaven. And before you think, well, that's too high a standard. Think about that for a moment. Logically, do you want heaven to be anything less than absolutely perfect? I don't think so. Here is another anonymous question. It says, Pastor Ron, my daughter thinks we're being unfair to make her go to church. How can I make her understand? Anonymous, your job's not to make her understand. Your job is to make her obey. I hope that makes sense to you because we've got to get out of this mindset that our kids have an opinion that matters. You tell your daughter that you're going to stand before God and give account of how you raised her. And because she's a part of your family, and your family belongs to Jesus Christ, your heart has named him Lord of your life, you're going to do what he says, and you don't care what she thinks. And so you're going to tell her she's going to go, and she's going to be respectful, and she's going to pay attention. You can't make her a believer, but you can make her go to church, you can make her behave, and you pray like crazy for her. But you don't have to make her understand. You just tell her that it's your job as a mom. Or a dad. This could be written by a dad. It's your job. You're going to stand before Jesus, explain why you did it or why you didn't do it. 
And as a culture, especially a Christian culture, we have got to get over the sense that our kids have rights and they have an opinion that matters. Your children have a role to be obedient. Let them enjoy that you love them. It's great to be friends with your kids. But in matters of discipline, in matters like this one, Anonymous, what's important is that she hears the word. Your job is to sow seed. And the way you do it is to say, this is what's expected for people that live in my house. And you know, there's no age limit on this, Anonymous. If your daughter lives in your house, I don't care whether she's 8 years old or 18 years old or 28 years old or 38 years old. If you're paying the bills, you're in charge. And since you put Jesus in charge of you and those who are in your household, then you've got to do what he says. Will your children rebel? Maybe. But who cares? So just exercise your godly authority. Make her go. Here is a question from Maria. She says, is there just one person God has for me? And how do I know who he is? Um, Maria, I, I think this whole concept of God has a specific person for you is um, um, not a reasonable one. Um, does God know who you're going to meet and who you're going to marry? Yes, he does. If that's part of his plan for your life, he knows, but it, it doesn't mean that he causes it. Now, the reality, Maria, is that we can all fall in love with a bunch of people. I mean, there's a lot of wonderful people, a lot of people that will be attractive to you. There is a lot of people who, who are interesting and fun and exciting. Um, so a lot of it is just timing. But here's the thing that you really have to understand. Is that when you meet the one that God has for you, you have to be faithful to him. You have to forsake all others. And then honor God in the relationship. Make sure the relationship's pure. How will you know? I don't know. You'll just know. When I saw Paula, I didn't think, oh, I'm going to marry her. I wasn't that smart. But when she saw me, long before she was a Christian, the Lord spoke to her heart and said, this is the one for life. So, don't be tied into one person thinking. Just follow Jesus every day. Just walk with him every day. And you can't miss the one that you're going to meet. The same thing is true for God's perfect will for your life. We all want to know what it is. The, the problem is the only way we're going to find it, oh, find out what it is, is to walk with Jesus on that day. And then the next day, and the next day, and the next day, and if you're with Jesus every day, 
You're going to wake up in five years or ten years and you're going to wonder, wow, how did I ever get here? This is a beautiful place to be. And Jesus will just sort of look at you and smile and say, you followed me and this is what I always had for you. So you'll find the one person and God will say, that's the one I have. Can I also say this, and Maria, this is out of the context of your question, but for all of you out there who are married, Christians, the person you are married to is the one God has for you. The one God has for you. If you're married, it's your husband or your wife. And the way you know it is to be obedient. For a husband, it would be to love your wife the way Christ loved the church. If you're a wife, it's to honor and respect your husband and love him. To work as a team. But if you're already married and you're still wondering or if you're you're thinking, well, this isn't going to work out, uh, you've lost all ability to comprehend what the will of God is in terms of a, of a physical relationship. So, good luck, Maria. We got what? Got a minute? Oh, there's some music. I thought we had a little bit more time. Uh, you're listening to The Word to Stand Up for Life. We'd sure love your phone calls. I told you earlier I'm running out of questions. All you have to do is dial 210-340-9585 or from outside the local area, 877-630-KSLR. You're listening to The Word to Stand Up for Life. We'll be back in two minutes. the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome to the second half of the program we have 30 minutes left in the wednesday program hey did i say early at the program that we got a really great bible study tonight if you are um confused if you think um, oh, there's no way God could use me. Um, go to calvarysa.com tonight and watch the live stream if you can't get here. I promise you the Lord will bless you. I've been so excited about this one for a long time. Here's a question that just came in from our email inbox. This one is from Chip. He says, Pastor Ron, why would the translators of Ephesians add the words in Ephesus in Ephesians 1.11? If Paul originally wrote... 1-1. One, 1-1, one. One, one, I'm sorry, to, in Ephesians 1-1. One, one. If Paul originally wrote to God's holy people, the faithful in Christ Jesus, wouldn't that make the point that Paul was reaching out to others outside of Ephesus? In other letters, Paul has instructed the readers of his letters to go and share it with other churches. The assumption is that the letter was intended for the Ephesians to read. So why the add-on? Perhaps Paul knew it was going to go beyond the Ephesian church. Your thoughts, please. Uh, Chip, a couple of things. We have to remember the the character of all of the letters. Um, The um, uh, authors of our Bible didn't know um, that that they were writing it wasn't it wasn't a conscious thought. You know, I'm going to sit down and write a book that's God God's going to preserve forever, or a book that's going to become something known as the Bible. Um, these are very personal letters. 
and and he wanted to understand uh, that that this was was meant for the readers in Ephesus. I think the translators uh, added those words correctly. If you look at the context of the passage of Scripture, some of the newer translations um, uh, don't even have uh, the in Ephesus in italics. So I think what he's trying to do is simply remind them that you're God's holy people, you're faithful in Christ Jesus, I'm talking to you in Ephesus. So I think that was the point. Um, uh, Whenever Paul instructs that his letter be read, um, uh, as he did with Colossians, and and, uh, be sure this is read in Laodicea, um, um, you know, those are very close communities. Um, The letters would circulate and they were more general in nature. But but Ephesus, remember, this was the church that really had his heart. This was the church where he spent the most time, It's except for Second Timothy, uh, the most personal of all of his letters. And I think his intention there was to make sure, uh, sort of like a father speaking to his spiritual children, and I think that's what he wants to know. Um, you know, other translations say to, to, to the saints in Christ Jesus in Ephesus, to the saints. He wanted to, to think of themselves from that perspective. So, Chip, I think that's the reason I don't think uh, the translators added it uh, incorrectly, but it denotes the personal nature. You know, I've had a letter, and I'll, I've got a phone call I'll get to in just a moment, but, but along that same lines... Um, um, I've had some, some questions about First John of late. Um, there seems to be some debate about whether or not John was writing to believers or unbelievers. First um, John 1.9 says, If you confess your sins, you're faithful and just to forgive your sins and purify you from all unrighteousness. And there are people that say, well, see, that's for unbelievers. But, but if you read the letter, why would he write a letter to people that he knew weren't going to read it? I pray that you will have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with God. Now, he's writing for sure to some inside the church who are struggling with their walk. I was telling him this is how to get out of it, but my point is that, that the personal nature of these letters has to be understood. This isn't just people picking up a pen and writing to general people. Most of the letters, the epistles are written with a purpose, with a goal, and to a very specific audience. I hope that helps. Thanks, Chip. Let's go to Ray on line one. Ray, thanks for calling. You're saved me today. You're on the air. Well, don't call me your savior. We know who that is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I do have a bit of compassion for you. <laughs> and, I, well, while we're on that part, uh, uh, not what I called about, but... Uh, I just wanted to to spread a little encouragement your way that no matter what uh, it seems like, uh, it's very uh, helpful, uh, not only to me, but many people, and I've heard it expressed uh, way better than that, um, what you're doing with this program and and the rest of your ministry, your, your, your display of your your life and and on and on um and 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 you know when it when it comes down to it when when jesus took uh peter and the, the thunder boys <laughs> with him in Gethsemane, <laughs> uh and and uh he said well hang out and you know 
be here uh, and, and stay with me and blah and, and uh, <coughs> excuse me and uh, uh, then he he uh, you know I just I just reflect on that and and it, it just shows me you know as God becoming man and just how his humanity uh, he felt more than I do, you know, I'm, I, you know, uh, it, and, and he was very discouraged, you know, when he fell down and was, uh, you know, let this cup pass from me, but not mine, but your will. And, uh, it, it just, it just awes me that, that he had, you know, uh, I don't know that he was depressed or you know uh our our human emotions he was feeling but yet i don't know how to how to express that but i had great empathy in that you know (laughs) um but that's that's going back that's it go ahead I was going to say, that's a great model for all of us to follow. We need right. that empathy can, can for, I, for the people. Can I move, move along here with, sure. um, you know, uh, it was brought up previously that, and I, and I had a, a question because you had said, well, instinctively knowing, uh, and you had expressed it pretty good, uh, but I was wondering where where was the line between that and just uh, possibly feeling it's true, and and you've impressed upon us, uh, you know, don't go by your feelings, but mm-hmm. it, it seems like they're almost in 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 some manner uh, synonymous that way. That's the that's the first thing that I had in mind, and then the, it, along that term further was uh, the Native Americans. Uh, had a had a uh, you know great uh, reverence respect and you know nature and you know Tepanka, the you know and you know they 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 treated everything respectfully and and uh, uh, I'm wondering you know the the great spirit the, the, the kind of like what you're saying even the the ones that have never heard of Jesus that name. They could still, you know, instinctively know, and I think in in my far, in my heart, or I feel, <laughs> I don't know which is correct to say, but I think I think uh, many of those uh, uh, would be able to be with us in the uh, the uh, hereafter with you know the the rest of the born again believers and and. Uh, uh, before that, you had mentioned something about uh, marriage and on and your seeing Paula, and you didn't feel the same way, but she had a feeling or a word from in her heart about from God, and I just thought I'd share something with you about my dad that uh, 
He, uh, let, let, Ray, I don't want to forget the things that you've already addressed. So let me let's stop with that and let me uh, let me kind of address some of those things because I think you've you've raised some important issues. We'll get to your your dad in another time. A couple of things that I want to I want to c- conclude with Ray. Um, our feelings are enemies of our instincts. We're born with instincts. I'm going to talk about that tonight a little bit in the Bible study. We're, we're born with this instinct that we're born for something great. Uh, we're creating the image of God. We don't understand it, but, 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 but our instinct tells us that there's something great. You know, it'll manifest, or I want to be president, or I want to play professional sports, or I want to be famous, because that's our frame of reference. But in reality, that instinct is, is a gift from God Letting us know that there's so much more that he has for us than we can ask or imagine. And finding Jesus then allows us to follow those instincts again. Finding Jesus um, sort of sort of is is our awareness that we're on this lifelong search for meaning and purpose. And, and it can only be found in the person of Jesus Christ. So I think, Ray, when we get to that place, what we have to understand is that when we start feeling, we unlearn to follow those instincts. We unlearn um, the, the things that, that make sense to us as children. And the world convinces us otherwise. But what we need to do is, is, is remember those instincts. God has created us all for greatness. Not greatness as the world thinks of greatness. But greatness that comes from the throne of God. Those are very, very important things for for us to consider. You know, um, also I want to talk for a moment about your, your example of Jesus in the garden. You know, he had compassion, such deep compassion on Peter, James, and John. Remember, he just told Peter that Satan has asked for him by name. So what he's doing, he's telling the, 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 the three to, to go into the garden with him and pray. Keep watch and pray. He wasn't saying, pray for me. He was doing that for himself. What he was doing is telling them, you pray, you be on guard. Because when I come out of this garden, you're going to be faced with challenges that you never imagined possible. And when we... Think of how discouraged he must have been when he came out and found them asleep. We can understand sleep. The air would be heavy. It would be the most emotional of moments. They would hear Jesus from a distance um, um, crying as as all of the forces of hell came against him in that garden. They would hear that. They would see him eventually after having been bleeding from his pores. And we can understand it would overwhelm them. But Jesus was saying, this is a time to wake up. And I say that because when we Christians are under attack, when things are really hard, the devil's going to try to discourage us from fighting, from, from watching, from praying, from being in the Word. And what Jesus was saying to Peter, James, and John is that that's the time that you really need to be. In the word, the time you need to fight is when you feel the least like fighting. Watch and pray. And finally, when he came out the third time and found him sleeping, and he just said, let's go. And we all know that they sort of bailed on Jesus. They were scattered, and Peter, of course, denied him. Didn't have to be so. 
If they'd been watching and praying, it wouldn't have been necessary. Thanks, Ray. I appreciate the call. 340-9585 for your live calls. Here's an anonymous question. Uh, Pastor Ron, do you believe the devil influenced the elections yesterday? Uh, anonymous, I think the devil influences everything in this world that is of this world. But because one side won or one side lost, and there's evidently a whole bunch of debate on who won and who lost, um, that's not his goal. The devil's goal in these elections is to get us to be polarized, to get us to, to stop loving one another, to, to, to make things so insane, irrationally so, that we're no longer even functioning in good faith. And uh, I believe that the devil is using our political system to wrongly influence the church. I think the devil is using our political system to influence those who would never have anything to do with the church. But no, the devil wasn't sort of whispering in people's ear, tell them, vote for this or vote for that. So don't take sort of a mystical view of it. Just understand that the whole process is of the devil. And we can overcome the devil by being with Jesus. We, we, we don't overcome the devil by a vote for a preferred candidate. We don't overcome the devil by being unable to talk civilly to one another. That's when we open ourselves up to be destroyed by the devil. So just maybe that'll help you understand. Here is another anonymous question. Is love at first sight possible? Well, we just had uh, Ray mention that when Paul and I met, um, um, we fell in love in an instant. And when I saw her, I had to have her. Um, when she saw me, I hope she opened the door and, 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 and she was in love. Scared, but she was in love. And, you know, I've had people say, well, I don't believe in love at first sight. Well, we've been together for 48 years from that very moment. And um, I, I loved her the minute our eyes met. So, yeah, love at first sight is possible. If it just if you're walking with Jesus, that's going to be possible for you as well. Let's go to Barbara calling from San Antonio on line one. Barbara, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor. How would you respond to a young mother that was just told her two-year-old daughter is dying? I mean, oh. we know the truth and why, but what words would you use to comfort somebody in that situation? Well, Barbara, there, there are no words. Um, you know, Bible verses don't help. Um, God needed a little angel in heaven doesn't help. Sometimes the best way to comfort people, and we've had this experience so often here at Calvary Chapel, sometimes there's just, I have no words. And then just be there and, and, and be available to help, to love, to serve, uh, to, to make sure that your friend knows um, that you are available for anything at any time. And that's all you can do. And, of course, we pray. We pray for them. And, and uh, th this is a time when um, they're experiencing grief that is unimaginable. Uh, for those of us who haven't experienced it, um, um, we think we can understand it a little bit, but we can't. And so what we do is we're just there. As you might imagine, as a pastor, I've been 
involved in situations on so many occasions where the only thing they had to offer was me. Just me. And, I'm here if you they, need me. Go ahead. I was going to say, and when they ask the question, why is God allowing this to happen to my child? Mm-hmm. How would you respond? Well, I, I would... Uh, you know, I, I don't like it when people say, well, I don't know. Here's what I would say. I would say, focus on one thing that you know for sure. Don't throw what you know for sure for something you're not sure about. And what we know for sure is that God is good, that God is love. He proved it by dying for you on the cross. And so we have to survive this horrible thing understanding that God is good, God is fair, and God is just, and God is love. And if we let go of those things, then grief is going to consume us. But it's not a time for a Bible lesson. It's not a time to... to uh, um, and I've, I've actually seen these things happen, Barbara, I'm sure not from you, but, but I've seen these things happen when people would rebuke them for their faith, don't talk about God that way. God's shoulders are really, really big, and they can say anything that they need to say. God's not going to hold it against them. God understands their pain. And so, I mean, Jesus cried out, why have you forsaken me? He didn't get an answer from heaven. So sometimes there are just no answers. What we say is focus on what you know for sure, and here's what we know, that God is good. Now, later in the conversation, when, when your, your friend has had some time to sort of accept the reality of what's happening, then there's a time for more discussion, time for for answering questions, uh, time to pray together. But but when you're going through this kind of terrible, terrible grief, and then when and if the child does die, um, um, just being there is all we can do. And the one thing, Barbara, that helps, there's only one thing that helps, uh, and that's letting somebody who's been through it comfort her. Uh, we have families here that have lost their children through accidents, through disease, um, and, and, and comforting others with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. That's Second Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, if, if, if you know somebody who's been in that experience, then ask them uh, if, 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 if you could take them with you and and talk to her and then just get out of their way because there's somebody there that can understand from a depth of hurt that that you can't possibly understand. We have a, 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 a had this past year an eight year old who was killed in a in a car accident. It was just the the worst possible thing imaginable for 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 the church, for the family, for the siblings, and. Um, we have another man and his wife in the church who've lost two children, one to an accident, one to murder. And um, that was the person that I wanted to go to him and say, you pray for these people. You let God speak to your heart if it's time for you to go. And, and I, I know for a fact that, that that family has been praying for our family in the church um, on a daily basis throughout the year. Uh, it, it eventually gets better. They probably don't need to hear that, but um, their hope has got to be in the one who holds them in their hands. 
uh, I had a friend who's uh, a pastor friend whose son committed suicide. And he uh, believed with all of his heart, he was wrong, but he believed with all of his heart that it was his fault. Uh, he allowed his son to play Dungeons and Dragons. That tells you how long ago this was. Uh, and and the enemy was pounding him. It's your fault. If he hadn't been playing Dungeons and Dragons, he wouldn't have killed himself. Um, and and he, he told me a story about going to the, the cemetery one day, consumed with guilt. His, his life just devastated. And he said there was one moment where, standing at his son's grave, he felt the Lord's presence with him, his arms around him, Jesus' arms around him. Couldn't see him, of course. But Jesus just sat there and cried with him. And I think, Barbara, that's the only thing we can do. It's so unsatisfying because we want to have the right thing to say. We want to be a source of encouragement. We want to remind the person that, well, you know, God can do miracles and God may heal your child, so let's pray for healing. And that's okay. But more often than not, God doesn't heal. And so we ask, and we're there. I'll be praying for your friend now and for her child. Wow. Those are really, really hard things. I'm a guy who likes to have answers. <laughs> I do a radio show where I answer questions. But we've got to understand there are times when there just are no answers. Let's take a question from Doug. He says, if God knows everything, how can he forget our sins? Doug, I love your question because the answer is so glorious. He forgets our sins because he chooses to. I often tease with our church that the only bad thing I can find about God, the, the only bad characteristic about God in all my Bibles, he has a bad memory but the memory is selective he's chosen to forget love keeps no record of wrongs I love that written in 1 Corinthians 13 because what we do when somebody wrongs us we remember and I'm not going to forget but that's exactly what God did for you he cancelled all of the things he knew about you all of the sins that separated you from him And he did it because he chose to. How bad does he want to spend eternity with us? He chooses to forget our sins. I love that. I can forgive people, but I remember. God just blots it out. And by the way, Doug, if you keep asking for forgiveness for the same sin, and it's what we have a tendency to do when we're feeling guilty, God's in heaven and he's saying, I don't know what you're talking about. But you know what I did yesterday. I don't know what you did yesterday. That's as far from you as east is from west. Enjoy that the Lord forgives and forgets. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. Barbara, please let your friend know that lots and lots of people, because this radio program, are going to be praying. May the Lord bless her and hold her and her child in his arms. Well, I'll be back tomorrow with Paula live on the air at AM 630 The Word. We'll see you at 4 o'clock. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. 
The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Running.